0: Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode, we delve into our most exciting debut, St Maud, directed by Rose Glass. At our latest Directors UK event, Rose discussed the psychological horror with fellow film buff, director Edgar Wright. Together, they went behind the scenes of the film, exploring their favorite shots, sound design, the casting process, and the thrills of directing your first feature. We hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Um, hello, everybody in Directors UK. It's very strange talking to lots of people that we can't see. It's slightly unnerving, but uh, hello.
0: Very weird.
1: <laughs> so I, I guess you all uh, just enjoyed St. Maud, which is a fantastic film. And Rose, I watched it for the second time the other day. And uh, it really is extraordinary. And um, one thing, uh, I uh, I feel like the, the art of making a film under 19 19- Minutes has been lost, so I'm very happy that your <laughs> film is like a really tight 84 minutes because it feels like people have forgotten how to make them. I guess if you're working on a slightly lower budget, it's something that becomes a benefit. But um, it was it like that. I, I that's one of the things I, I really love about the film is the sort of the economy of it in the script as well. I think it sort of gets across a lot of character and detail. Um, in not so many words. And I, I was just kind of curious as to what the length of the script was.
0: I I think going into the shoot, it was like pretty much like 82 pages. Uh, but then we did end up shooting maybe like five, six pages worth of new scenes that I sort of wrote during the edit and did pick up, So it was this quite nice sort of fluid thing, which was good. But to be honest, like the whole thing of it being that short was, I mean, I obviously wanted it to be as tight as possible and probably, had the same sort of nightmares that that everyone's had sort of shooting things where you know you're just struggling to cover everything in one setup and just sort of having to cut things and i'd had enough sort of nightmares like that on short so i think i was extra paranoid about just like but anyway i i wrote it in keltex or celtex whatever it's called the sort of free script writing software and um and then when we were in prep uh production sort of told me that the script file wasn't compatible with movie magic. So they bought me final draft. And when we, <laughs> mo- <laughs> when we moved the script into that, it shrunk by like eight pages. So I think it, I've been working really hard to get it down to like 90 something. I was like, yes, I've done it. And then it shrunk by like another eight. And it was like, oh, and then Shader, our script supervisor went to one of the uh, producers on the first day of shooting and was like, just so you know, I've done a timed reading of this and it's coming in at about 78 minutes at the moment. And she, <laughs> and she was like, bang on <laughs> for the first cut. Uh, Nothing
1: I'm, wrong with that though. Is no, this- no.
0: I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm so, I'm, com- it's, it wasn't like sort of my main intentional priority going in, but it definitely I realized as we made it, how incredibly helpful that was. Cause I mean, I don't know, maybe this isn't like a, this was a fairly luxurious way of doing things, but it basically meant that we, we used everything that we shot um, in the first shoot, I think there was maybe like one tiny scene, which, um, like two sort of visions which we kind of cut out but pretty much every setup we used and I sort of realized once we were working on the edit that there are like a few story beats that I think I don't know sometimes when you're writing you sort of think that certain things are coming across you sort of take it for granted because you know the story so well and then when you see it on screen you're like oh fuck we didn't blah, blah, blah. anyway so I was able to and because we hadn't gone super over budget or anything we still had our contingency because it had all been quite contained then we were able to afford to do like a few days of pickups which basically turned into an additional five-day shooting or something um so yeah and I've got a short attention span now so I'm yeah I'd like to emulate it with the next one although I've started writing something and now it's like 150 60 pages or something
1: no it's funny when you look back at yeah. sort the the you know like I've been watching a lot of in my Bergman films recently and I'm always like amazed when they're like they're nearly always like 90 minutes long like all yeah. the yeah of you know maybe an apart from Fanny and Alexander or something like that. But all Yeah, which the- is like,
0: we can encompass, I can encompass all of this stuff about existence and everything in a like really condensed package. Like,
1: 90 minutes. Coward. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think given that, like, sort of. I mean, I, I watched your uh, short film today, Room 55, which was fantastic. And I, I think there's something that you, when you don't have a lot of money, like sort of, um, it, it, you know, smart filmmakers like yourself, very talented filmmakers, Use those confines, like the sort of the way that you cover this film, and I know this is a collaboration with all of your sort departments, but it's like really great choices of how to how to shoot a scene in an interesting way. Um, you know, so you're you're you you, and, and I think it ends up sort of like some. Would you agree that sometimes like the limitations of like a schedule or a budget lead to some really interesting choices? Oh
0: gotcha yeah, yeah. To- I- absolutely um and it's yeah it's kind of just from the horror stories that you end up kind of le- i mean yeah there's loads of happy accidents and things that happen like the sort of shot in saint Maud where she's um her first sort of godgasm thing and she's sort of going up the stairs in this in this shot like that we'd originally planned to shoot that in sort of several different setups but we didn't have time and it was like the end of the day so it was like you've got to think of a way to do it in one shot um and then i think originally in the script she wasn't meant to like have the godgasm until she was like up on the stairs uh and we had like slightly different makeup for like pre and post Godgasm. And she'd already been put in the post Godgasm makeup. So then it was like, okay, so in that case, she has to kind of have it as she's going up the stairs. So then the scene sort of ended up, so it would have been quite different and it's much nicer like that. So um, yeah, learning to not like control everything, I guess is good. But I mean, I've, I don't know about you, but like the kind of films I've always liked tended to be quite, um, I don't know, often people sort of losing their minds in confined spaces and being quite, I don't know, like stories where you kind of look at the most kind of tiny little psychological moments, but then with a film, you can kind of express them in these sort of ridiculously big grand ways sometimes.
1: Well, it's also sometimes good to give yourself like rules. Like it's it's good to limit yourself, like in terms of like there are certain types of shots, especially with a film like yours where it's actually, I've done a similar thing in a lot of my movies where like the sort of the lead character is in every single scene and, and so Maud, uh, there's not a scene without uh, Maud in it. So, you know, you can always like sort of, in terms of coverage and stuff, you can always focus it around her because it's pretty much all from her point of view. There's not a bit of conversation that she doesn't overhear. Like even when she's in the pub, it's what she can see. You know, when she's at the party yeah. with Amanda, it's what she can hear of Amanda's conversation. There's nothing that she's not party to. So that is a, you know, like, is it not to say it's easy? I'm not making that. No, but it, it becomes like a gift in terms of that you actually limit the sort of type of perspectives that you would have and totally, thereby, you know. Yeah. You, yeah,
0: sorry, no, 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 it's just just agreeing basically. I mean, like, um, yeah, it on the surface, like of like the blocking of what's actually happening scene to scene, a lot of it's just like a person in a room, or yeah, maybe there's other people, but you don't need to get everything anything from their perspective. So, in that sense, you can be super super focused um and yeah again now I've started like fighting
1: sorry no no what did you say i was gonna say like in that party scene it's really good that you you pretty much shoot it all from Maud's perspective
0: yeah but even that that was like the first day where it was sort of shooting with more than two people and i was just like oh shit what are we doing or there's like the scene where Maud comes back from like um uh going out in the seafront the cafe and, and uh, Amanda's got her mate Richard over so there's like three of them and, and she comes in the, and there's like a tiny bit of like quite basic blocking but that was that that was like at the end of the first week and the entire week up until then had just been sort of more of it alone in a room and sort of someone doing that so I was like shit there's actually things going on um, so yeah it's uh, not overstretching yourself in some ways I guess but now I'm like writing other stuff which sort of has maybe more than one perspective and like oh shit I've got to try and get a lot of different dynamics uh, yeah I think I out if it. it was a the big dinner
1: party scene.
0: It was originally round a dinner table. That, <laughs> that party scene, and then I think I think not that maybe even like sort of during the shoot, like a few days before, we were just like, let's not do this round a table, shall we? Um, and then yeah, that was fine. But then I don't know. Then when I started thinking about the extras, a bit a bit more. I mean, not to tell me, but when you think about them a bit more, like dressing, as opposed to too much. I don't know. It becomes a bit more like sort of weird choreography kind of thing. So then quite enjoyed doing that kind of stuff. You must, like you love doing choreograph kind of stuff.
1: Well, the <laughs> thing is with those things is like, usually it's always a thing that's like, just sort of a, a, a gnawing anxiety in any director's stomach. I'm sure other people listening out there would agree, but when there's something like a dinner party scene coming up, you're like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> like, sort of like you have eight people around a table and lots of dialogue. But what is good is it like in terms of with your film is <laughs> if you have like a, there's a point of view. So it's like, you have like a reason yeah. and to sort of like shoot it in a particular way, which is- It, which is it narrows
0: crazy. it down a bit, but we did used to have the, cause it is all from her perspective. I think there were a few moments in, I don't know. I think there were some, some voices in the film who sort of felt like we needed to have these much, some like really objective sort of shots, which I guess obviously you have at the very end. The color, I mean, I don't know, but I, I thought it would be a bit naff if like she was having a Goga and then like you cut back super wide and, and suddenly all the mystery has gone. I don't know. Sorry, I'm waffling. Uh,
1: I, before we move on, I have a geeky question. This is just me. Uh, sat, uh, uh, I'm just curious. The Godgasm scene, when she's walking up the stairs, yeah. like, is that a practical lighting effect? Yes. Or is that a VFX effect?
0: No, it's a, it a practical lighting effect. effect. So it's a nightmare to do sort of trying. So I think uh, uh, Ben, Bernard gaffer had like two sparks on like separate dimmers, but they were sort of like spread out and couldn't see each other. So the gaffer so he was just kind of like sort of... I was giving him like all these really pretentious kind of notes, like, Ben, tell them it's got to feel like breathing, like the lights. He was like, okay, Rose is telling the lights has, has to feel like breathing. And so then I got, he was like breathing, like, oh, oh, like, kind of works. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mostly works.
1: But no, it's amazing. It's a, it's, a, it's a great show. I mean, I think there's a the thing, um, I want to talk more about the shooting a bit, but before we do that, let's just jump back. Let's jump back a long way. Let's talk, how did you get interested in film in the first place? Uh, I mean, one of those like standard Q&A questions, <laughs> but I wanted to ask it.
0: It's all so weird. Um, I, I, think it's, I think getting interested in films when I was like sort of 12 or something. I think when, whenever Lord of the Rings came out was the first time I sort of uh, started doing a lot of like internet looking for stuff about how it was made and sort of behind the scenes thing. So I think that was the first time I sort of started thinking about like films being like a job that somebody could have um, and sort of wondering about how to make them. Um, and what other kind of stuff? And then I think I discovered IMDB and was just sort of constantly trawling through lists of like hundred weirdest, whatever this and that, and kind of ordering weird things off Amazon and being like, oh, this is cool. Um, and making films um, at home with my like two friends. Um, so yeah, so kind of basically just wanted to do it since then and just kind of been trying, I don't know, I think feel like every decision in life has basically been towards try and make a film, try and make a film. Um, so yeah, since 12.
1: And like, um, I, the only other thing I've seen of yours apart from *Some Ward is uh, Room 55. But is, is that something in terms of like the sort of subject matter and the genre is something that's of particular interest to you where you always uh, like, a uh, Interested I mean, in bright St. St. is has got that thing where like, so sort of, you, you know, like um, you can always use the word psychological horror. Cause I always think it's a nice way of like, sort of make it that it's, cause it's, it's it's a, it's a very classy film and it kind of bridges that gap between kind of art house and horror and psychological horror is the prefix that always works, you know, and obviously- they're... I've been
0: using <laughs> that instead of elevated horror. Cause it sounds oh. slightly less, it sounds slightly less pompous at least, but. um,
1: Yeah. Elevated <laughs> horror sounds like a ding against horror films and we don't Yeah, be... it's horrible system no. but what was i always interested in that kind of horror would be correct in terms of i mean ha- having read through the press notes i mean some of the films that you mentioned that are also some oh yeah no i think favorite diff- films like you know rosemary's baby is a classic psychological horror persona well, yeah, is a classic yeah, yeah, yeah. psychological horror i mean um talk about some of the the not necessarily like specific ones that that influence Maud maude but like what films in that vein were things that you just kind of like would you know, excite you and get you excited about making films.
0: What, you mean when I was younger?
1: Yeah, or just you know, or, or just like the, I have that thing where- Formative the films, kind of films. The, films. the films that I make are usually films that when I've watched that genre when I'm younger, I think in like, I would kill to make a film in that genre. So I can only assume uh, that with something like more that it yeah. feels like like something- Probably,
0: like, yeah. I, I think to be honest, like all this, all like Bergman films, like to be honest, I'm a, I'm a really crap cinephile. And um, I think like, Bergman films only started plowing through when I was like doing my MA and was suddenly like ah, oh. um so it was a bit like to the party I think when I was younger I don't know like something something that sounds like maybe it's just like a really teenager choice but I I was obsessed with the film Pie like Darren Aronofsky's first film and I think that was like one of the first ones I watched when I was like I don't know 13 and it was like oh films can be like this and I think and again that's like I'd sort of forgotten about it, to be honest. It's like, it's always been sort of one of the ones that like I kind of remember as being one of the films I got most excited about as a teenager. Um, but I didn't really think about it when I was making Maud. But then I had, did an interview recently on a, a podcast where they, um, where they asked me to talk about another film that's under 90 minutes. But I guess that's kind of obsessive character driven, super stylized kind of thing. Um, what else? I, I mean, yeah, you already said, but like Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby were sort of massive, all the obvious ones, I guess going bonkers in confined spaces oh I like piano teacher that was probably quite a big one cause, because for me I love the piano teacher because it's like it's obviously like a very austere kind of like sensible film but it's also like fucking crazy and just really I don't know for me I just find some of it's like when she first goes to the uh porn booth and just takes some dirty tissues and does this and just sort of sniffs it's like so ridiculous but I was like wow sort of a serious bold artistic film and this just basically having having this woman sniffer Tummy tissue in a, in a booth <laughs> great
1: what's great about the movie is that you go you know you you obviously like you 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 really empathize with her even as she's going through um you know like so she's doing some some terrible things that you know the journey she's going on i mean it's funny there was one review i wish i'd thought of this myself but there was one review of the movie that i thought was absolutely dead on where they said that Saint Maud was like if you combined Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie's characters in Carrie, and I thought, oh, oh, the mother, in the, thing. <laughs> the mother and the mother and you know Carrie and her mother together in the same movie. My favourite that
0: place. I heard someone say uh, was like an alternative title. It could, it could be either the Carrie's Carrie's mum or an origin story of Mrs Doyle or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mrs Doyle from Father Ted. Yeah, Ah.
0: (laughs) the early years or something like that.
1: So I like to to go back to, I know I touched on this before, but it is something that's really impressive about the film, especially for a first film. Because I think, you know, a lot of first time directors kind of like, when you come into the process, I can only imagine that, I mean, it seems like you really got on well with your, all of your kind of HODs, because there is that thing sometimes when first time directors make a movie, and if they're coming from either like uh, TV or somewhere else, or they're coming into the features world, that somehow uh, what their vision gets diluted and sometimes people are telling them, this isn't the way that you do things, this is the way you do things. And what's great about your film is it seems that the choices visually and, and the audio as well, but like sort of the visual choices are really strong and bold and not really, I mean, that, I think it, it's so confident and it's not the kind of like, you don't see any of the kind of, um, you, you know, it really feels that like you came in with a plan and like sort of, and you've executed it with with your colleagues. So maybe just talk about, so to hear, to hear you talking about it and 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 see like hearing of any anxiety about the making of it, that's not the impression that I get when I watch the movie, is I think that this is a supremely confident debut. And so maybe talk a little bit about, you know, like writing the script and then mounting it to the screen and what, were there any things that you had kind of qualms about yourself or, or, or going or, into or, it about working with your like different heads of department and stuff
0: um, I mean to be honest the, the sort of practical making of this film from the point that we got kind of properly greenlit onwards has been sort of ridiculously kind of um charmed and enjoyable process I mean obviously sort of hectic and stressful as you'd expect but it was a really great team of people which sounds like really boring and lovely but um, like Ben, the DOP, it was his first film. Adam, our composer really? it was his first film. Yeah, Paulina, the production designer, she'd done one micro budget feature before. So it was a lot of um, newbies, which is nice. Although then they were we bounced out in post-production, everyone was a bit more experienced. Um, and Paul Davis, our sound designer, he's, he's brilliant. He does um, like all of Lynn Ramsey's films, but he'd been a guest tutor at NFTS when I was there and he'd seen Room 55 and liked it. So I was like, hey. Um, so that was great to be honest like yeah all the stress and anxiety stuff for me was entirely sort of front loaded to um, pretty much from sort of during film school until the point of kind of getting greenlit um, as it probably is for a lot of people because um, I, th- I think I think we, I got the script officially sort of in development with film for like two years before we started shooting and about two years after graduating. Um, so, the, and, and around the same time, I also, me and um, one of the producers, Oliver, we also had another project which was in development with iFeatures. So, I sort of suddenly went from uh, sort of just doing all this stuff in my spare time to suddenly sort of being paid to write and being able to sort of quit day job and, and just do that, which is, which is obviously great. Um, but I guess I just hadn't quite um, reckoned with sort of what actually writing full time is like, because <laughs> like I, I'm not. Um, I don't. I don't like love writing for the sake of writing. I've always written my own scripts because I'm probably a control freak and I kind of want a thing to make make a film from, rather than sort of just loving writing for the sake of it.
1: Nobody um enjoys writing. Anybody who does is lying.
0: This well, this is what, <laughs> exactly this. This is what I've learned now, and actually now I'm enjoying it a lot more. So I think at the time <laughs> I just had this ridiculous idea that I'd just be sort of like happily intensively kind of like tapping away, and and obviously when that didn't happen, and I don't know. I mean the the leap from sort of writing a short to writing a feature felt far bigger than I had anticipated. And, you know, I, I sort of spent, a, um, yeah, and just wasn't doing great and uh, decided it, it threw away the script about halfway through development after about a year and started it from the beginning again. But from that point it was better. Um,
1: was, that you changed, anyways, uh, was that when you changed periods? I was reading in the press notes that originally you were thinking of it as being a period film. Was that the oh, original? No, that,
0: that was early. I think that was sort of before. I, I don't think that there was ever a script written like that. I think maybe in the early stages when I was like working on the treatment and trying to get um, trying to get it in development somewhere. I think at one point it was like set in the sixties and Maud was either like a nun in training, you know, like Eda, sort of a kind of novice nun. But I was just like, well, I've just seen that before and it seems a bit on the I don't know, maybe on the nose, but um, and expensive, I guess, doing something in the 60s. So yeah, I'm happy it was present day. But anyway, yeah, it all changed a lot. Everything felt very uncertain and sort of um, anxiety inducing and precarious and thought it wasn't going to get made and, and that it would all, anyway. And then sorted myself out and luckily got greenlit, so yay. <laughs> so,
1: I'm, I'm stunned that it's not only your first feature, but also the DP's first feature. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, and uh, I think this is probably, hopefully interesting for the directors out there, but I have to say, and it sounds like a sort of, it sounds like kind of like uh, faint praise, but really great inserts, fantastic inserts. Oh, always a thing on movies that people never leave any time in the schedule for inserts. And it's always a thing of like, I'll put them on the end of the, day and then you never get round to them and then like usually the last two i mean pretty much every shoot that i've ever done the yeah. last few days have been just doing close-ups of things
0: we did we did have um a lot of them ended up being pushed and pushed i think a few, a few of them are uh, a second unit i think so that probably they just did it all and made it better um but then, i think we had one day where we had two units going on it within the same house that we were filming so like me and ben were shooting i think like the sex scene or something upstairs and then downstairs we had somebody like doing a bunch of close-ups I'm sure we did most of them though, and yes, thank you.
1: No, it's always it's always a good thing. is it's it's a part of the glamour of making a film that nobody tells you about is that it will eventually come down to um, shooting close-ups of buttons. <laughs> oh yes,
0: yeah, 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 and that they'll be the thing that take the longest to do. And you're literally you're just staring at like, oh, oh god, no. The worst bit was doing the pickups for the close-ups of like the William book, William book, William Blake book because obviously there was, we had to, we were very specific on which images were allowed to film and which ones were not, but she's flicking uh, through the book. I think I actually sort of caused production a massive ball, because like, I basically just had her flicking through some pages, being like, oh, we're not landing on them. It'll be fine. And then later Andrea, one of the producers was like, no, that was not fine. We had to clear all of them. I was like, um, but yeah, we were all just like, this fucking book, just get it out of the way.
1: Um one of the things I want to talk about uh, that are in the film that are very key to it, and if I'm right in thinking, neither of them... Uh, were maybe in the script, but was, was Scarborough ever in the script? I mean, one thing that's really interesting to me reading the press, you uh-huh. told me this before and I'd forgotten it completely when I watched it for a second time this week is that like there, the, it, it's obvious it, like the uh, Amanda's house is in and all the interiors were in Highgate yes. and then you shot in Scarborough obviously I'd forgotten all of that when I watched the film again I was just thinking Magic what a great movies. Scarborough movie <laughs> like, so talk about um Talk about the idea of like splitting the two things, Talk it into the script. It seems so, the seaside location seems so key to the movie. It feels like a character in the movie. Yeah, it,
0: was, um, it wasn't originally meant to be set in Scarborough. I think I had Hastings in mind, but it was like always set in a seaside town. And
1: yeah. And, what, and why is that um, it, out of interest?
0: Probably a mixture of kind of personal aesthetic pre- and sort of pretentious reasons of being like, oh, it's by the edge of the land, like elemental, like she's on the edge and whatever. Um, Nothing all-
1: pretentious about that. It's a, that's, that's the perfect answer. Don't, don't feel ashamed. Um, like you have to say that in without kind of putting a caveat before it. It's totally cool. I'm really it's like, a great my, answer.
0: Oh, thank you. And then all like the kitsch weirdness of seaside ta- English seaside towns in general. I wanted to be present day, but like like you were saying, sort of, I'd initially like the idea of it maybe being set in the past. So I had this slightly retro, timelessy sort of quality. But um, but I I thought of doing it.
1: I loved seeing Scarborough on screen, but it didn't make me want to go to Scarborough. So I I interrupted, though, to talk about how then you found Scarborough. Sorry.
0: Oh, no, that's not interesting. We just went to Hastings because I thought that's where I wanted it to be and then was like, oh, actually, no, it doesn't have quite what I want. So me and. um, Oliver did like a sort of a road trip of, of places. And we went to Blackpool and I'd never been to Blackpool before. And when we first got there, we'd been sort of driving all day and it was really dark. And I was, I suddenly, I had drunk loads of caffeine probably like now. And we're just like, oh my God, we've got to film it in Blackpool. And my producer was just like, oh no, this is going to be a nightmare. Because it's like, anyway, but there, I was just going to ask like, if you know Hastings much?
1: I don't. I am actually from the coast myself. I, bought, I was, grew up in Swanage, but I've never been to That's Hastings. Swanage. Or Blackpool or Scarborough. Twenties you should, you
0: should go. They're Near great.
1: Bournemouth.
0: Ah, okay. Well, um, Hastings, I I'm from Essex, not the coast either, but one of my best friends is from there. And I think I was coming up with Maud, like in the early days when I hung out there a few times, but I, she, she would get me and friends there most years for May Day. They have like massive sort of May Day uh, celebration things where basically everybody sort of goes up onto these kind of castle ruins on a hill overlooking the town, you paint your face as green, you put branches in your hair and uh, there's like a weird sort of Wicker Man-esque kind of ceremony involving this sort of green um, sort of effigy made out of leaves with the crown on its head and a dude dancing underneath it and drums. And you have to like get a bit for the next year. But anyway, I think I remember being there one year and being like, Maud should be set here. And it should be like, I think at one point it was like the whole thing in the finale will take place in the May Day Festival and blah, blah, blah. Well then after the after we finished more than I watched Midsummer and was like, ah, oh, probably good we didn't do that. <laughs>
1: like... Talk a little bit about well talk about, about the split between location and uh, and Highgate. Well it like, was sort of what practical. Did you shoot first and, how many, and how many days shoot was it overall?
0: Um, the main shoot it was twenty five days, five day weeks, and we did the first four basically in London, so all the interiors. Which, yeah, like you said, we were pretty much entirely in these two neighbouring I think they're like old school buildings or sort of old houses in Highgate. And so that was like Amanda's house. And in the in the house where everyone would eat and we used as a unit base, Maud's basement was down there. And we also did like the bedroom of the dude she goes home with. I think the only other locations were like the pub that was somewhere in London. I forgot which one it is now. And, um, the bathroom. That was some nice people's house, uh, and we try, I mean, yeah, so it was, it was nice doing all the interior stuff first. We try, And we only had um, Jennifer who plays Amanda. We only had her for, oh God, I'm going to forget now. Two weeks maybe. So we sort of did all of the stuff of the two of them together. And then a little bit of Maud in Amanda's house by herself. And then we kind of all just descended into Maud's sort of crummy little bed sit and were there for like a week. So it worked quite well because we'd all been having this like lovely time with Jennifer and her fancy Amanda house. And then... And then the weather turned and everyone was getting really like sort of a bit ill and sniffly. And then we were filming in this like damp, horrible bedsit, which smelled of mould, but um, but which looked great. So that was, that was fun. Yeah. Although it does mean doing all the exteriors. But I don't know. I thought actually doing the exteriors last is quite good because it was like the week before Christmas. I think we wrapped and we shot all the beach stuff pretty much last, which is quite intense. And then we, it was like three days before Christmas or something. So obviously weather wise, it was freezing and there was a lot of kind of standing outside. In the rain, and sort of all running around in the rain, um, but also a lot of the shots are basically like Maud walks from you know from A to B. So I think by that point, me and Moravith were both a little bit sort of like frazzled. So I was just like, "Just walk there, Moravith Do this." So luckily, all the more nuanced thinking stuff had happened already. Exactly. Well, finale.
1: You have a great. I mean, what's amazing is you know for a movie where obviously a lot of it not in rooms. Is that you really use your kind of like location shots kind of to the sort of like the maximum impact? I mean, there's like two or three shots when I think of the film, they're like the first things I think of is like there's that great shot where you flip uh, the shot upside down, uh, moored by the sort of um, oh, with the weird the docks and then. Yeah, like the upside down show. It's just it's such a great kind of like... We weren't meant to film just...
0: there. It was like... Um, we, that, that's, it was the one... Yeah, it's where she's kind of like moping and walking around the yeah. beach and then it's upside- Um We were meant to be filming on the beach and in the script, that scene was meant to be like this beautiful sunny day and I wanted it to be like, oh, she's feeling so shit but the world's kind of carrying on as normal and it was meant to be all a bit like disorient. And then obviously like the weather was terrible. We were run out of time. The tide had come in so we couldn't shoot on the beach. But then it was like, oh, there happens to be this really cool looking like walkway thing with all those pillars and then yeah then we turn the shot upside down which i think ben my dp wasn't hugely happy about because he's got like a thing against upside down shots or something but i was like it's doing the upside down shot
1: he's Um, he's wrong
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly
1: perfect perfectly the other one that's really great is when um i think it's after the sex scene but the shot with the oh is it after rotating alley yeah, the alley shot where you kind of put it on its side, and at first you're not really sure what you're looking at because you. Yeah. Put it in a vignette. that was in
0: post as well. He was he was surprised oh, to see that in the final one.
1: Did he not <laughs> like that one. either?
0: Oh no, I think he liked he liked that one in the end, in one round. But I think I sort of message him I was like Ben, just so you know, like we've we've we're we're rotating the alleyway shot. He's like, mm, which you have to. <laughs> But um, no, he loves it. He's very happy.
1: The other shot which is really strong of the exteriors is, is that shot on the beach. I think I told you about this when I met you the first time, that shot on the beach with the the um, reflections of the neon on the sand is amazing. What an amazing shot. Oh, yeah.
0: That wasn't planned either. That was, we were waiting for something and we're standing on the beach and suddenly we were like, oh, look at the reflections. They're so beautiful um, and ran to get it. It was kind of, I think we had about sort of the exact amount of time of that shot that you see on screen is the only sort of usable bit we had like super like with a crazy amount of like stabilizer on it because I think we were just I was literally just like bang by the camera on the ground (laughs) like puts the camera on the ground um I like that one but yeah a lot to be honest like it we did like plan a lot of stuff and I did think about things but honestly it just feels like there were so many kind of charmed accidents or and it was such a good nice way to be able to work to be able to sort of just feel like you are sort of being like a big stupid kid being like oh let's try out this and like the whole sort of beetle um god beetle cockroach scene wasn't in the original script and that only like the whole beetle thing only came about because um because why because yeah when we were shooting the scene of uh when maude and amanda are sort of chatting by amanda's bedside for the first time and they like connect um the day before we shot it, I suddenly had this pretentious idea that we should get like a moth to sort of be fluttering atmospherically around a, a lamp because it'll make it feel dreamy and, and stuff. And so they found, the producers found this insect wrangler who was like, there aren't any moths this time of year, but I've got cockroaches and locusts. <laughs> I was like, bring them in.
1: That's uh, a big cockroach.
0: Massive. She, I can't remember what it is, something brown speckled, something Brazilian cockroach. She's called Nancy. And she shared a box with another cockroach called Sid. Um, Anyway, so she was originally. I had like a. Uh, we tried. And Nancy a, survived. Nancy survived. Yeah, we used a shot in that. I shot a shot of in that scene where Amanda's talking to Maud and There's randomly this cockroach on the pillow, but it didn't work at all because it was like only half thought out. But then later on, when it was like, oh, we need to. I needed to write this scene where God appears to her. Um, I was like, what should God look like? And Nancy the cockroach had made a big impression on me, so we got her back. <laughs> and they assured me it was exactly the same I cockroach.
1: Should, I should I should ask a couple of things before, like, I throw it open to people. Um, well, just talk about as a first-time director. Talk about working with. Um, let's no. Talk about like. Um, I, I I I'm glad you you already said I was going to pronounce it Morfed, but I'm completely wrong, aren't I? Morfeth. Morfev. Oh, okay. Roll well, you are Morfid. if you want to do it even. I'm not going to try it. Morfeth. So, <laughs> yeah. An incredible performance. Um, but, t- but tell us about that collaboration because it it it's um such an incredibly hypnotic performance. And also she gets to, I mean, some of my favorite bits in the film is when she's pretending to be nice. We'll say it again. <laughs> when she's pretending to be nice. and like when she's talking <laughs> to that other nurse. Uh, yeah, know, no, she's, she's just like When they're having sandwiches and she's like very convincingly nice. And then when she doesn't, and she gets everything she needs, she's just gone. That shot of her just walking off in the wide and just deserts her. I
0: think we did have some slightly more bitchy reaction shots throughout the script, which we were like trying to balance like how how obvious she should be with it <laughs> but yeah she's she's uh yeah she's she's phenomenal and like again it's impossible to do this without sounding like a sort of gushing lovey. but she's she's honestly just so fun and chilled and pleasant to work with and incredibly unpretentious and just I think because it was her first like lead role as well it was sort of an equally big deal for both of us so I think we are both just sort of equally kind of like <laughs> desperate for it to work. So, which is great. So she, she'd do everything I told her to, which was lovely. Um, and she's incredibly, yeah, super versatile. Cause obviously it's a kind of like shape sort of character. I think when we first cast her, some of the execs were a bit like, Oh, she seems a bit, maybe a bit too sort of sweet and nice. And so then no, we got, got her what
1: to, her creepy.
0: well, exactly. But then I, we got her to come in and sort of, we shot a really crappy, uh, version of the scene where she kind of comes home and sort of is questioning God and like vomits and levitates everywhere and has a seizure. Um, I don't know quite where we picked that. So I just have filmed her kind of thrashing around for a bit and that seemed to convince them. So that was nice.
1: I think that's one of the the great things about casting her. She, She does have a face which can, I mean, I think if you'd cast somebody who is more obviously- Odd a rock looking, you know, that looks more like, you know, kind of like gothic-y, I think that would, I think the fact that she looks relatively normal is yeah. actually like sort of a huge strength.
0: Yeah, Ben said, um, it's like, oh, she's got the most incredible face. It looks incredible in every kind of light. It's like, brilliant, so flat smooth on.
1: Um, Am I right in thinking that she, that, uh, she wasn't written as well. She You let her I be know, Welsh She, she,
0: she, she in. just happens to be Welsh. Um, yeah. So then that's, that- In the script. What the Welsh, the Welsh stuff, no, none of that had been, that whole scene with the Beatle and, and it talking Welsh, none of that was in the script. Um, but I'd been sort of listening, eavesdropping on her, like talking to her mum and sister on the phone in Welsh throughout the shoot, and I was like, oh, what a beautiful, mysterious sounding language, which no one is going to recognise. Um, and it's nice that like God's still sort of a voice in her head and she's kind of talking, talking to herself, I guess. Um, but yeah, and no, honestly, I'm really excited to see what she ends up doing, She's because like it, it all sort of started kicking off for her, I think, around the same time that she was doing Maud. Like by the time she came to the shoot, she'd finished the David Copperfield thing. And she's also in Eternal Beauty, which is out now as well. So like out of the three films in cinemas, it's like she's in two of them. Um, and now she's in New Zealand doing the Lord of the Rings stuff. It's like mad, so.
1: And then tell us about like working with Jennifer Ellie. Ely. Because also, did I get that wrong as well? Sorry. everyone Ely,
0: does Ely. Ely. yeah
1: um well you know so you said she was only on for like two weeks so i mean i'm guessing that must be was that a daunting thing working with her or was it a i mean yeah
0: because i mean not not because of the time but because i'd never been through i'd never been in the sort of situation of offering a role to somebody because you know i obviously never worked with anyone kind of famous before so it was um so just the fact that I couldn't like audition her or couldn't sort of speak to her before obviously like I know she's an amazing actress and like I very much wanted her to be in it but I was more nervous about the fact that I didn't know her at all like we'd had one call on the phone uh, like she lives in America and she she was only able to fly over like three days before we started shooting or something so we didn't really have any rehearsal time with her and more together I think we all went out for dinner once um, and we did like some camera tests with both of them sort of in like half-finished costumes and half-finished sets just to like get the look. So I just got them to sort of sit and stroke each other's faces a bit. And, um, and then we had to sort out all her bald head makeup. So I think most of the prep days were just sorting practical stuff. But yeah, again, she's um, they're both very uh, down to earth, fun, easygoing and phenomenally talented actresses, um, which made my job a lot easier most of my nerves to be honest were around working with actors like that's the thing I felt so sort of the least uh confident doing going in even though I guess it's meant to be like the main thing you love doing but um I don't know i because like, I've never like worked in theater or anything and you know like on shorts obviously you don't really get proper rehearsal time I just feel like actors just know a lot more about acting than than I do so it feels weird bossing particularly someone like <laughs> Jennifer around um but she was nice But yeah, I think because a lot of more of his stuff particularly is just her by herself in a room, it's kind of, a lot of it's kind of fine without rehearsing because, you know, we'd like talked and stuff about what the film's about and everything. So she, she, we were on the same wavelength and I think we got, we did rehearse, we had like an afternoon rehearsal with each of the actors that she has a conversation with basically. So there's like sort of three or four dialogue, proper dialogue scenes. So we rehearsed them, but not really the Jennifer ones. But um, is there
1: that thing, I was reading in your notes about the fact that you'd originally envisaged, envisaged Amanda being older. And, but there is that thing, I'm sure you'll feel this about Jennifer Ely. Ely,
0: yep, very good. I, oh, i got to write that down. Yeah, okay.
1: yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> I said it very, <laughs> but what I was going to say is this. I've had this a couple of times in my films where you've ended up casting somebody who is not how you imagined it visually in your head at all. And then when the film is done, you cannot imagine anybody else doing that part. So I'm sure that would be the case with Jennifer playing Amanda.
0: Yeah, kind of both of them, to be honest. I think, yeah, Amanda was meant to originally be quite a lot older and English. And um, I think we even did like a couple of castings of like sort of looking at actresses in that demographic, but just to sort of see the lines being spoken by someone that age and everything. Anyway, I was just a bit worried the character started to get a bit too sort of like sort of fabulous old English sort of... Grand Dame kind of Dame kind of thing, and then it didn't quite make sense to me that there's like Maud's like this sort of young woman who develops this really intense obsession with this other woman, and I was just worried it wouldn't be so convincing if she was like super obsessed with this kind of um, posh old English lady. Um, and then Carmel, our casting director, suggested Jennifer, and I was like, yes. Yeah. But yeah, you can't. But I, I don't know. But that's basically what it is with the whole. Of like you sort of think that you can picture all this stuff but then obviously until you actually sort of see the footage for the first time with the right with the actors with the thing that's all together then it's always kind of a new oh there it is and like more more i think i maybe did picture her being a bit kind of like
1: It's that thing though sometimes when there's those happy accidents like you said that jennifer's casting wasn't what you originally thought but does it then kind of like sometimes unlock things that have that the for, you know, like unlock things that like are staring you in the face that you haven't like, sometimes I have this, this is a slightly different thing, but sometimes in a review, somebody will um, describe my own movie to me in a term that I'd never thought of before. I was thinking, oh, you're absolutely right. I'd never, I wish I could have articulated that when I pitched the thing. Yeah, same. (laughs) Having Jennifer be younger adds an extra layer of sexual tension, which Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Because that was all. Integral to the movie, right? Or Yeah.
0: no, I mean, I mean anyway, that that some of that sort of um, stuff was sort of in my head, sort of always in the script. But I guess maybe what I pictured you sort of like write an age of a character, and you don't always kind of picture. Not that you know a big age gap can thing wouldn't forbid that, but yeah, uh, it made uh, that it made that more sort of evident. It makes the whole character situation that bit sadder because she's kind of it's not like she's sort of retired gracefully and sort of vanishing. She's like sort of had every like a quite successful. Um, fancy career sort of cut short so it makes her and then now she's got this weird uh young nurse kind of living this weirdly pious life so it's sort of I thought it would make her more frustrated with Maud to be kind of like why are you wasting your um yes that's true what you said <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you, yeah. some of your answers are like my questions where they sort of like I, I get yeah I'm the... really bad at, it, it's, it's, very... like... <laughs> it's good though both- I realized
0: that like, your answers are like my questions and I went, yeah, really bad. And it's like, no, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I sort of get through half of and the thought and then sort of I haven't figured out how to end a sentence.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's just what directors are like and it's why we can't complete anything. It's always just like, oh, something. Yeah, fill it in. It's fine.
1: I have a one, well, this is not a, a question. It's just a sort of, uh, um, I wanted to commend something. I love the use of practical effects in the film. I mean, now you said the godgasm on the stairs is practical. Also, the, um, the prosthetic effect with the chest. Yeah. And also, as I read in the press notes and I was amazed by, is Indeed. that Whirlpool in the pint is also practical, which is very impressive. Because I would so much. have sworn that that was a digital effect, and it's a really great practical effect. It's, um, it's a mostly
0: great practical effect. <laughs>
1: But I think the thing is, I think a lot of lower budget films kind of producers push people towards digital effects all the time because they're cheaper. But to get them looking great, it's a lot of money, so you're better off. Like,
0: yeah, this is, effects. um, I mean, this is the first time I'd ever done anything which had digital effects in it, um, like had the budget to do that. So I did, I did really like you know, I love, I really enjoyed working on all that side of it, like technical, or the effects, and they ended up being quite you know, like the wings that wasn't in the original script. So I kept being like, can we just add this and add this? "Mm." Um, So yeah, but the practical effects, I always like that vibe as well and wanted to do as much practically as possible. And yeah, getting to do stunts and things for the first time is incredibly fun. Um, Yeah, the the whirlpools, I feel like a little bit dishonest saying it's entirely a practical effect. We did neaten it up or sort of, I think we added some swirly foam on the top.
1: It's but we cool. did have a it's propeller it's in the pint glass. It's the, the propeller story is cooler. Don't mention the digital effects.
0: Okay, okay. But it's obviously a digital effect. So don't want people being like, I can tell that's not real. It's like that. Well know.
1: listen, I'm not gonna hog Rose completely. i so I am now um let's uh, let's ask some of the questions that some of the members have asked. There's one person who asked here something which I wanted to ask and didn't dare, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it. Kieran asks, Does uh oh, I can't to do Morphe, I can't Morfith. do Morphe eyes. morph Or just does it. naturally have Bowie eyes, or does Maud? And what was the reason for that?
0: Uh, Morphith does not have eyes like that originally, ah, and so they're contact. not Bowie eyes. Bowie's got one dilated pupil, not different coloured eyes.
1: Oh, so did you have different coloured contacts then?
0: Yes, she was wearing a brown contact lens the whole time. I, I think it kind of tapped back into the sort of thing I was saying about how there must be something about the way she looks that's a little bit something. So in One Rough, she was super tall. And then in the end, it was like, oh, it should be something subtle. I, I just thought it would be, to be honest, I, it, I think I had, my producers kept like sort of taking the piss at me because in the sort of establishing scene of her and her little bed sit, that was one of the first things we shot in the bed sit. And it's obviously like establishing the character for the first time properly. And uh, we didn't have like a proper big close up of her face and, and my producers were like, Rose, I really think you probably need to get a big close up of her fa- like of the eyes of the face, get register the different coloured eyes like at the beginning of the film. And I was like, No, it's far too obvious. We need to be like sort of like distant from her and then move closer and we shot like a profile pickup but uh, basically, different colored eyes are really hard to pick up in low lighting is what I discovered. So you kind of only notice them in a few of the really bright daylight shots. Yeah, it's about um, halfway
1: through the movie, when you? Yeah, I know,
0: out. which is maybe oh. either, either <laughs> distracting or takes you out.
1: No, <laughs> oh, it's good. It's like you notice it later. I have another question here. Um, there's a few questions about this, so I'll try and combine them. More than one. Asking about the sound. Like, two things. Was the soundtrack mostly composed or designed? And also asking about the audio design, the else. Um, this is from... One's from Paul, one's from Adam. Uh, Paul, asks, Paul the sound designer, mostly composed or designed. And Adam asked, the audio design is amazing. Like the clicking of the nails, the, in the shoe. Can Rose talk about the process behind that? So maybe talk about the soundtrack and the sound design.
0: Yes. Um, from the beginning, like the sort of briefs that I gave to both Paul Davis, our sound designer, and Adam Minota Bozovsky, our composer, was that I sort of wanted the the sound design and the music to sort of um, merge a bit and obviously as with the visual style of the film everything's to try and get you as much in, in Maud's um, subjective experience as possible and you know so I wanted the, the whole film to be have a very heightened sensory sort of feel so quite a lot of the little sounds were sort of written into the script you know the horrible nail crunch thing or whatever but then obviously a lot of stuff is just like little things you end up grabbing on the day and then, then they added a bunch more stuff um, I kind of just told both of them asked both of them to just kind of uh not hold back at all and I think both of them had points where they were kind of like I've done this thing it's like really over the top and I was like yes mom. um which is nice Adam actually yes like I said it's his first film um and he I mean I'd love to I'm sure the ideal way to do it is to get your composer on board before you shoot but we didn't manage that um so we we were looking for a composer whilst we were in the edit and I think Adam got sent, I did like a little sort of pitch, a little brief thing, which had like some mood boards, but didn't have actually the full script or any footage from the film. I only found out later, but he then sent a load of sort of demo tracks and a couple of them are like pretty much what is in the film now. So he just seemed to really um, click with it, which was great. But then what we ended up doing is I sort of got him to, he, I mean, some a lot of pieces I'm sure he can, he you know came up with in a fairly sort of, traditional sort of route and like i'd give him notes and go back and forth but in the beginning i also me and mark towns my editor we got adam to do basically like a sort of um kind of sound library i guess but more with kind of musical cues and elements um so like a a lot of the kind of like like that kind of stuff is like a he sent us like you know just files of loads of loops of those individual sort of sounds and me and Mark sort of played around with things that we'd like and then be like, okay, maybe something like this on this scene. And then he'd, then Adam would go away and actually turn it into a proper thing. So that was fun. Um, And then yeah, tried to make, yeah, just bold and sensory.
1: Well, since we have to wrap up, this is the part why I share you with prayer (laughs) (laughs) from that. I mean, I think everybody uh, on this, uh, will agree it is an incredible debut it really is extraordinary and it's so like uh beautifully confident just in terms of you know it looks like something it, it does not look like anybody's first film and that's the biggest oh
0: thanks can,
1: this is incredibly, incredibly
0: surreal for me i was like a crazy big fan of yours as a teenager and i know it technically wasn't your first film but um saw Shaun of the dead in the cinema and it was like the first time i'd seen gore in the cinema i think and heard like everyone around the combination of laughing and going oh
1: um well, what I was going to say though is that like it's an extraordinary film, and also like sort of in a great British film as well. And uh, it's worth pointing out on this call that the film is out on Friday in cinemas, and if you October can, the
0: ninth, yes.
1: If you can go and support it, because like sort of not only does uh, like British independent cinema need your help, so do cinemas themselves. Congratulations.
0: Thanks so much, really glad to do that. And thanks, thanks anybody at home uh, watching, listening. I hope you enjoyed Maud as well. And Studio Canal for sorting this all out and Directors yeah, UK. Yeah, thanks
1: Studio Canal, thanks Directors UK.
0: This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.